Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. So if you've got your Bible, open up to the book of Titus, in the book of Titus. Last week, we kicked off a series of sermons that are going to be looking at the book of Titus, and the idea that we said, kind of the running theme for our time in this book, is that when you are really invested into something, really committed, you're, gonna, you're going all in with it, the kind of everyday language we use to talk about that is we say that we are in it for the long haul, right? Just kind of the vernacular slang sort of way of saying we're in it, we're in it for the long haul. And you know, the example I gave you was to, to kind of help get, get our heads around it was the difference between like a road trip uh, to a new city versus moving to a new city, right? It's kind of the example we use. We said, you know, to go take a road trip to a new city, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, you just hop in the car with some friends, you go, you don't have to do too much preparation, you spend a weekend, it's a lot of fun, you make some good memories, and then you drive back and you are right back where you started and you continue on with life. But if you're gonna move to a new city, you're gonna be in it for the long haul, that's a little bit of a different ball game. You gotta do a lot of preparation to get ready for that, it's a whole nother thing. And what we said was, a lot of times, people view their faith and treat their faith a lot more like it's a road trip. They got some great memories from some spiritual high moments. Maybe you went to a a summer camp when you were young. Maybe you went to a a men's conference or a women's conference for a weekend, and it was like a really high moment, and that's all well and good. But eventually, you came back home, and you reentered into everyday life, and things went back to the way they were. And we talked about how for so many people, we live in this faith that's kind of like just kind of trying to make it from one spiritual sort of excited moment to the next spiritual excited moment, and we're we're living on experiences only, and we were never intended to live just on some spiritual highs that end up finding our ways back to spiritual lows as well. And that's because while road trip type faith is fun and memorable, it doesn't sustain you for the long haul. And so this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to his apprentice, Titus, he's writing to tell him and to teach the church through him how the church is supposed to to believe? What are the things they need to know and introduce into everyday rhythms of life so that they can have a faith that will last, that they'll be able to believe for the long haul? And we talked about how the end of the first four verses, when we looked at the introduction last week, Paul's motivation for this whole thing is he's looking at the ultimate long haul, which is eternity with Christ, right? And he's saying, in view of Christ's death and resurrection, the thing that we just sang about, right? In view of that, He's saying, that guarantees me a long haul with the Lord for all eternity, and so I'm going to let my future destination determine my present reality. Instead of just drifting and meandering through the present and letting it determine my future, I'm going to look down the road at, at my eternity with God the Father and let that dictate how I live here and now. And he's writing the letter to help explain what that kind of life's going to look like, which is why we're diving into it so much. So This morning, we're going to pick up, we're going to be in verse 5 of chapter 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 9 of chapter 1. Four more verses. All right. I promise we're going to speed up 
in the weeks to come. Uh, we're going to spend three weeks in this first chapter, and then the next two chapters are only going to take four weeks to cover, so we'll get going. But, uh, and I want to remind you of the Titus challenge that we're kind of diving into as a church to read it every single day. The 46 verses, you can knock that thing out in 10 minutes or less, and some of y'all need to even be memorizing it because you have the time and space to do that, and you could be done memorizing it by the time we're done with it next month, all right? Here we go. So we're going to jump in. I'm going to read this passage to you, and then we're going to work through it. Everybody ready? Yeah, Bible time. I said that in the first service. I was like, Bible time. It's not like some weird PBS announcement, but we're going to go to the Bible now. All right, here we go. Um, verse 5 of chapter 1. The reason I left you, remember this is Paul writing to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but instead he must be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Today, we are going to look at what the Bible says about elders, elders, which I get might be a little bit of a weird word. It's not a word that we use a whole lot in everyday language nowadays, unless it's come up recently with this thing called elderberries. How many of y'all have seen these little things? They're like this secret thing that Courtney gave me about two weeks ago for a cold that instantly it was better. It's like, this is like the dark arts kind of stuff. But outside of those things, um, we really don't use the word elder, but elders are leaders of the church, all right? Synonymous with the word, we could translate the word there, um, elder, you could translate it pastor exactly the same. Now, let me talk to you all for a second that are not Christians, all right? I love that our church is a space where you can come and kind of explore your faith and everything else. Here's, you might be wondering, well, what the world, why do I need to hear this? I'll give you a couple of reasons. Number one, you might come from a church background or some sort of religious background or some kind of familiarity with what a pastor is supposed to be, elder is supposed to be, that might be really, I don't know if it's going to be off base or not, but what I want to give you today is what the Bible says the leaders of the church are supposed to look like. So you got a pretty good handle when you leave today of what leaders in the church should look like. Maybe you compare that. Again, my job is to sort of tell you what the Bible says in this setting. So maybe this will be a good chance for you to compare what the Bible says to what your past experience has been, which might actually bring some healing. I know it did for me when I went through this. The second thing is, kind of the overarching thing we're going to get to in a second, is that the elders, their main job is to introduce Christ to you, to be kind of a tangible, visible um, depiction of what Jesus' love for you looks like. So in learning about what elders are supposed to look like, you're going to actually be introduced to Jesus Christ himself and what he's supposed to look like. So if nothing else, you get a really good picture of the core of what we believe through this profile of the elders as we go through it, all right? So that's, that's kind of where we're going, and I'll go ahead and acknowledge out front, we do live in an age that is deeply skeptical of all power structures, right? Surely for good reason. I mean, I think about the Me Too movement that's out right now uh, being a very powerful and important example of exposing the dark side of what having power over another can turn into when it's abused and everything else. I mean, praise God where that darkness is being exposed. So I need you to hear right now that the call to being an elder is not a call first to power and authority. It's not. It's a call to servant, to sacrifice, to death, and to slavery. I want to show you where Jesus actually sets that up. It's in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus calls over his disciples, 
the ones that are going to be leading the church. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Listen, power and authority just have nothing to do with this calling to be an elder. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Jesus says any leaders that are given that authority in the church is because these men go first in showing Christ-like love, showing a willingness and an eagerness to serve everyone else. That's who makes a good elder, the type of man who's willing to sacrifice for these people, who looks at the people of church and says, I'm willing and ready to die for these people because of how much I love them. Y'all, that's our big theme today. Our big theme today, if there's one thing you kind of grab and take home to help you understand what an elder is, it's that elders go first. Elders go first in rehearsing and in living out the gospel message for the church. Y'all, I'll go ahead and tell you, um, this was one of the most convicting and challenging weeks of sermon prep ever for me, right? Uh, talking about the role, I mean, this is the role that I play in Mercy Church, so you better believe this sermon went through the uh, Courtney Shelton gauntlet like two times, uh, because if anybody knows me at my worst, it's her, and she's very candid with me, so if I can survive that, I'm going to be okay this morning with you guys. Um, but look, the, this gospel message that elders would be living and rehearsing, it says God loved you so much that he died for you, and that love is to be the model for which all, the way all people, all Christians, love one another, and elders are to go first in that. But look, the aspiration to be an elder, First Timothy 3 is going to tell us, it's a noble and good aspiration but it's not an aspiration unto power. It's an aspiration unto death. We don't let a man be an elder unless he's willing to, to die for you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, not only that, not only are they to like give their lives to serving you, but they're also accountable to God for you. This is Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders, talking to the church, and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. One day, I got to stand before God, me and the other elders here, and give an account to God, which means I got, for the members of Mercy Church, I am accountable to God for your soul. How's that for a recruiting speech? <laughs> like, all right, come and die for everybody. And when you die, you got to stand before God and give an account to how everybody else's soul under your care was doing. Come and join us. Great perks to being an elder, right? It's a big deal. All that means to say, we... I say all that to say we don't walk lightly into this role, and being an elder is anything but a power grab. Here's what I'm going to do from here. I'm going to walk back through these four verses. I'm going to show you two things. I'm going to show you who an elder is, and then I'm going to show you what an elder does. All right? And if you're wondering, again, how all this connects to your life, why this matters, listen, believing the gospel for the long haul, it means traveling down a road that you never traveled before. Applying this gospel message, the love of Christ, just taking it out of just being an idea and actually applying it to new seasons and new circumstances of your lives. And God in his kindness has given elders to you who are to go first. And then they serve as guides to walk with you, showing you what it looks like to flourish as a follower of Christ, as you were always designed to do, inside of a world that has completely rejected Christ. 
especially in the 21st century world that has rejected Christ, rejected a biblical worldview. So how do you live in that? The long haul, the beautiful thing is the long haul for you is not an isolated thing. That's the beauty of God's design. He designed the long haul, your life, to be a community project. That's what the church is. We are all believing together for the long haul, and God in his grace gives elders to guide and oversee that community of believers. And y'all, I'll tell you, God loves his church fiercely, calls it his bride, and if you are in Christ, you're a part of that. Out of all the ways he could have built his bride, in his holy, beyond comprehending mind, he found it best to build the church this way. So we lean in there and celebrate it as we go through it, all right? So we're going to start in verse 5. Again, read it, walk through it. Here we go. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you to a point, this is the one word we're going to talk about, elders in every town. Only thing I want to say is I want you to look at that word elders, and I want you to see that it's plural, all right? That's pretty much it, a little grammar for you. Consistent in the New Testament is always a reference to church leadership as plural, elders, Because of that, we have a group of elders who oversee Mercy Church. I'm not the only one. There are a group of us. And look, I'm going to tell you, group decision-making and everything else is not the most efficient organizational leadership strategy. All right, for those of you that are in any form of organizational leadership, you know that. It's not the most efficient. It slows things down. But God doesn't build his church for efficiency. All right, he builds his church to reflect his beauty and his glory And because God designed it, we can be confident this way is best. Y'all, this isn't Spence is the pastor and everybody else do what Spence says. No, I'm an elder here. And as one of the elders, I'm subject to the mutual accountability that exists on our elder team. And the beautiful thing, y'all, I love this. The way God has designed it, the more I, I learn about it, is that the only way this can work is if these group of elders have massive amounts of humility with one another. God loves unity in his body, and the only way this group can function is if they humbly persevere together. Otherwise, nothing would ever get done. And in that beauty, you see what that does? Is these guys together serve one another, humble themselves to one another, honor one another. What it does is it actually reflects the very nature of God himself, who is God in three persons, mutually honoring, respecting, and giving glory to one another in the Godhead and the elders, even by the way they interact with one another, shine light on the beauty of God himself, existing in perfect unity. So we different men, all with strong opinions, insist upon unity together because God insists upon it, all right? So elders. All right, now on to verse six. We're gonna get from here, these next few verses, who an elder is, who's an elder. Y'all, here's the thing. It is almost all character. All character, all right? You're gonna get one skill set that he needs to have. And everything else is gonna be character. And this is massive for you as members, uh, for those of you that are members of Mercy Church to know what to look for in your leaders. It's big for some of you because God is going to raise you up and send you out to help plant churches, to be faithful members of other churches one day somewhere. And this is gonna be the rubric by which you look and say, are these the type of men that should be leading the church? I mean, these next 10 minutes or so as I walk through this profile of of the character of an elder will be some of the most important notes you take, all right? Because look, a church is only as healthy as its leader. So into verse six, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. All right, so the very first character trait is blameless. Great. So if you read that, if you read that as perfect, well, this is ballgame, it's over. 
I definitely fail, as does every other one of our elders, right? So it can't mean perfect. What does, el- what does this word blameless mean? It means that they carry themselves in such a way that accusations aren't brought against them. And any false ones that are brought against them are quickly revealed as false because of how transparent and upstanding he's been living his life. He's going to say, Paul's going to say blameless first here in this verse in the home, and then he's going to say it again about being in the church. This overarching word, it's kind of like an umbrella term that then everything else is going to describe what that blamelessness looks like. All right, another way you might read it is above reproach. Now, why? Why does he have to be above reproach? Because the elder's the one holding up the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The, the name of Christ, which is perfect and holy and blameless. And the elder's job is to hold that up for the rest of the church. So his life has to be something worthy of what he's carrying, right? That's why it's such a big deal. And here's the, the first thing he says after blameless is that he's to be faithful. He's to be faithful. He's to be a husband of one wife. Another way to say that is he's a one-woman man, all right? That's who he is. Now, cards on the table right here. We do believe the role of elder is to be held by men. That, listen to me, that has nothing to do with gifts and abilities. You gotta hear me right here. This is not about gifting, okay? This is about God's design for how he's laid out the church, not gifting. So yes, elders are men, but they are the kind of men that women flourish under. And if women are not flourishing under their leadership, they're the wrong men. This has nothing to do with gift set. It has to do with design. It's ludicrous to say women aren't good teachers or that women aren't good leaders. In fact, our church, it's necessary for our church to grow well to have women leading in our church. There is no way, according to God's design, all of scripture, that women are in any way inferior to men. That's not what this is. I know several godly women who are gifted by God. They are ferocious teachers of the scriptures. They are way smarter than I am and good leaders, and they have a major role in our church. In fact, in a couple of weeks, I will really dig into that role as we go into Titus 2. But listen, both men and women have equal access to God's spiritual giftings, vital roles they have to play in the church, and we got to create clear paths of development in the church for both. And we want to build that early in our church as we're growing. Listen, Abiding by God's design here, as it talks about elders, does not preclude a commitment to the development, empowerment, and advancement of women in ministry or unleashing their spiritual gifting in the church. Massively important for us to understand. Let's keep going. Next thing he says that they're a, um, he's a leader of a well-ordered home. All right. See, so what's happening here is, is Paul is saying that the home is going to be the proving ground for his readiness for ministry, because nothing puts you at war against your flesh like being a husband and a father. All right, listen, that's not a knock on you if you're single right now. It's just a reality that the conflict, that maybe if you're living with some roommates that you experience with your roommates, you experience on a whole nother level in marriage and in parenting, because your selfishness comes out even more. A man leading a home realizes that, look, it's the way I think about it. When I, I leave my home, I go to my first job, right? And then when I come home, my day is not over, okay? When I get in my driveway, that's when second shift starts. All right, you understand that's a, that's a really important thing to understand. I, if I get home 5.30, if Charlotte traffic is kind to me, right? Uh, here's what I do. I sit in, in my driveway or right as I'm coming in my neighborhood and I pray, God, give me the strength. This is every day. 
God, give me the strength for the most important hours of my day right now. And sometimes before I open my door, there's that four-year-old banging on my window. Hey, Dad! Hey, Dad, let's go play! Right? And then we go hard. Y'all know, so y'all parents of young kids especially, you go, it's like the sprint to the finish line, and we go hard. I mean, we're playing in the yard. We're eating dinner. I got to bathe four kids, family devotionals, bedtime, reading, prayer, and everything else. And then when they go down, okay, still not my time. Then it's third shift. That's taking care of mama, all right? Encouraging her, giving her time to rest, talking with her. I've had the privilege of talking with adults all day, all right? That's not the case for her. So I got to zero in and care for her soul. So you may might be thinking, well, then when's my time? You don't get time. That's not how this works. If you want it, it's 5 a.m., all right? You get up before anybody else does. You don't like it, stay single. That's what it is. That is why, guess what? Yeah, that's right. It's the, it's the reality. You die to self. That's the role. That's why we bring wives in on any elder, the, any person that's going through the elder process, because we want to see how is this guy in his home? Listen, a, a man can't control like the conversion of his kids, but he can lead them in a dignified, gracious way where he is dying to self for their sake, right? Which means part of what this means right here with this whole thing about, about how the kids are responding it means you should be watching my kids, not whether or not they sin, okay? I do not need you making that list, all right? Too many pastor's kids grow up with bad memories because their church thought they should sin like 30% less because they're pastor's kids, you know, blah, 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 for some reason, right? You should be watching instead, not whether or not they sin, but how they respond to me. They should be responsive to the loving leadership and correction and discipline of their father, and that's on me, not on them. In other words, that whole like, oh, you know, this is a pastor's kid, that's, that should be garbage, right? Because it should be, how do they respond? Paul calls for the elders to be faithful leaders and shepherds of their own households because, this is 1 Timothy 3, if they don't shepherd their own home well and they don't care for their own home well, what in the world makes you think they're going to care for the church? I mean, I love y'all, but I love my family way more than I love y'all. And if I'm not going to care for them, you really think I'm going to care for you? Right? That's why. That's what he's getting at. And that's why he's saying here in Titus as well, first, family is a proving ground for ministry and his readiness for that. All right. Next in verse 7, we get this word blameless now applied to overseeing the church. All right. And there are things that he must not be and things that he must be. And remember, zero in here. Again, especially you're not a believer, not a follower of Christ. What you're going to see, this is character stuff. And what you're seeing is the elder is going to be in both of them, the what he shouldn't do, what he should do. It's a model of who Christ is. And actually, in all of these, the elder is just to go first, because every Christian, this is what every Christian should look like, all the way until we get to verse 9 with the, the specific teaching abilities he's supposed to have. Everything else, this is what every Christian should look like, and the elders should model it first and foremost so that you see Christ, and you'll see how this plays out. Verse 7, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. Again, we got that word again, that uh, umbrella term, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money. Because see, all of these that he must not be, these are signs of sin running unchecked in this man's heart. And really, all of these reveal that this man is not controlled by God or his spirit, but controlled by his own desires. They reveal that, that sin, not the gospel, is driving him. I'm just going to walk through them, okay? Here we go. He must not be arrogant. Listen, an arrogant leader thinks he deserves to be praised. But the gospel says 
what? We are wretched sinners, right? And the fact that we are saved is only God's mercy to us. An elder can't be arrogant because he must lead his people in awareness of the humility that sin brings to us. He must lead us to worship Jesus's name and lift high Jesus's name and die to his own name. And I'll say something right here that is kind of a derivative of this and is very true. That there's one thing that he must do that Christ did not do. And that is that he is to be repentant whenever he sins. Quick to repentance. An elder is not so consumed by his pride that he refuses to confess his sin. And in fact, the more you get around an elder and the closer you are to him, the more likely he's gonna be repenting to you because you're in closer relationship. He's likely to sin against you, which means especially in my home, I should be quick to repent and seek forgiveness even for my kids, for my wife, et cetera. And that should play out in the way he interacts with the church. All right, next one. He must not be hot-tempered. Why? Because the gospel is a message of the patient, loving kindness of the Lord. The Lord is patient, not hot-tempered. In his patience, he waited on you to turn from your sin. So elders model that gospel patience by how they are patient with strong-willed, stubborn people, right? He's not eager to fight. Guys who love conflict are bad elders. Good elders don't like conflict, but they're not afraid of it either, all right? They're shepherds, which means you gotta guard against the wolves, and when the wolves attack, elders go first. Sometimes they get wounded in the process, but better him than the sheep. Next one. He must not be an excessive drinker. He's not controlled by drink. Listen, he doesn't escape into drink. He doesn't escape into anything that the world would say escape here when things get difficult. Instead, he escapes. He makes his home, John 59. He abides in Christ, right? That's where he makes his home. And in doing so, he models Christ, God's love to be a better escape than anything else the world has to offer, a better place to run to, and then the believers that are following him see that, and in that moment where they want to escape to drink or want to escape to drugs or want to escape to whatever they escape to, instead they, they see a model of something better that's actually sustaining and giving joy, and they turn there to Christ. That's how he leads the sheep. He must not be a bully. This is the next one. A bully. Think about this. The Lord has power, right? The Lord has power. But the gospel says, Philippians 2, what did he do with it? He laid it aside. And instead, he humbled himself to becoming like a man. And even more than that, humbled himself to, to be on a cross. He came not to, serve, to be served, but to serve. And an elder models that servant love. So if an elder manipulates people in situations, he's getting them to do his will, not the Lord's will. That's a wolf, not a shepherd. A shepherd models that servant love like Christ. Next one, he must not be greedy for money. Why? Because the gospel is a message of the radical generosity of God towards us. Do you see what's happening with each one of these? Why he can't do this is because there's an image of Christ that he is holding, he is to hold high and is charged to hold high with. So elders go first in demonstrating a generous life so that people can see the generosity of Christ through them. Then Paul turns around after this and he says, here's what they need to look like. Y'all, I recognize right now in our church, the majority of men in our church are not elders, okay? But this, is, this description of character is a good thing because God is gonna call some of you. In fact, one of the things I'm gonna challenge you guys today is it's the, the job of the church to actually present and recommend people for the role of elder. But look at the character being described here. 
This is not just for elders. It's that elders go first, but it's the calling of every single believer, right? And some of you, God is going to call to be a shepherd, to be an elder, and this is what your life is going to model. And again, if you're not a follower of Christ, I hope you're seeing Christ through how he's describing the elder. Verse 8. All right, there's there to be these tangible expressions of the gospel. So here they are. He's, instead of not being those things, he must be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Let me walk through them. Hospitable. All right, Jesus describes God's love in Luke 15. There's a story of the prodigal son. It's a great story in scripture. You want to read, learn about God's love for you as a son who ran away from God, or ran away from his dad, right? And he was running, doing his own thing. He realized that left him with nothing, left him empty. He wanted the father's love again. He turns and starts to come back, and the father sprints towards him, wraps his arms around him, and that's the description of God's love for you. That, listen, that's hospitable. It's a genuine love and concern for your soul. Hospita- that, that's hospitality at its core, not whether or not your decorations are matching up with the seasons, okay? It's not what that is. And that's big because elders are to go first here. The idea that elders would abdicate this and say this is only for uh, some people that know how to do good with decorations, that's, that's garbage. That's an abdication of duty. And a church where elders are hospitable will be known as a, a welcoming church. And by God's grace, I do feel like that's the, that's the spirit of Mercy Church that I've heard from so many people. Here's the next one. He must love what is good. The gospel creates a people who are light in a dark world. The elder loves obeying God because he has experience. Catch this, not the drudgery of obeying God, but the goodness and delight and joy that comes in obedience to God. And in doing so, as he obeys God, as he loves what is good, he makes the gospel and the God of the gospel attractive to those around them and wants to those around him and they want to look in on it. Here's the next one. He must be sensible. I I read a lot on this one this week and loved it. It, Just basically what he's getting here at, there's not a massive gap between how he sees himself and how the world sees him, right? I I read one guy who said, listen, he isn't one of the audition episodes of American Idol, right? Who, where he thinks he can sing, but the rest of the world is like, "Mm -mm, not happening, right? He is self-aware. He knows his limits. He uses reason, right? And he knows his limits. He he lifts up others who have complimentary gift sets. He's all about exalting others. He's sensible, and in doing so, shows the gospel to be reasonable and sensible. Here's the next one. He must be righteous. Actually, this next two are are, there in tandem together. First one, he must be righteous. righteous. We're going to say this. That means he kind of takes on the form of God where he can. He tries to act like God as much as he can because the gospel is the news that righteousness will win out over evil one day. So yes, there's injustice and oppression in this world, but that's not the way it should be. And one day God's gonna right all the wrongs. And in the meantime, elders serve as models of this righteousness in their own lives in fighting for the injustice and oppression of everyone everywhere, right? Taking on the form of God. But then the next one says, he must be holy. Which means not only does he take on the the character of God where he can, but he also rejects the form and character of sinful man, right? You catch that? There's a thing that he's to take on and things that he's to to push off because the gospel is the announcement of a holy God reconciling sinners to himself, making sinners holy again. 
and elders are to model that holiness for the church. Because look, the closer you get looking in, again, the closer you get to your elders, there should be a way that they live that's draw, they're drawing, seeking to draw close to the Lord that makes you say, I want that. The, the more I'm around that guy, I, I, wanna, I want that in my life. I want to be like that. I want that closeness to the Lord that I see in this guy. Here's the next one, the, the last one in this list of, of character traits. He must be self-controlled. It's kind of the positive expression of some of those negative ones, right? He must not be a bully, not be hot-tempered, not be excessive drinker. This is kind of the positive version of it. He's got to show what it looks like to submit human desires to God's desires and then reveal in the way he walks that that life is actually better. This doesn't mean he's stoic, okay? That's not what he means that he's just flatlined all the time. That's not what this is talking about. It means that he, he knows to hold his tongue. He knows to hold his email rants, like he has the, the, the conditioning of the Spirit to not click send, right, when, when there's that moment there. Like Jesus, he submits his desires to God's desires, and because of that, you're able to trust him, which will point you to trusting Christ the more you're around him. Now, that's who an elder is. You look, again, look at this passage. Time and again, what you're going to see is Paul's overwhelming concern is not ability, but character. Verse 9 is going to tell us the one ability he has, but what he goes through with all that other stuff versus character. This is why becoming an elder for Mercy Church is not an easy or quick process. We accept recommendations from you for men you consider worthy, but then we walk with him. We interview he, his wife, his community group, everybody around him. We talk to those who know his character. We spend time assessing his theology, and then... Then we present him before the whole church. I've told you guys what we did this. Uh, I, never, I remember doing this with Tony Ferguson. Um, we presented him up here, and we said, okay, guys, this is Tony, but we want the whole church to be able to vet and assess Tony as well and to pray over him and pray over this idea of him being an elder. And we said, okay, if any of you have seen anything that doesn't match up with this, you need to let us know. And I jokingly said to you guys, if you've seen Tony out back smoking weed and nobody else has seen that, you got three weeks, right, to come and, come and tell us about that. I was like, yeah, I mean, there's a reason that we bring everybody involved on that. In fact, the way we talk about how our church is structured is we say that we are Jesus ruled, he's the chief shepherd, right? Elder led, the elders lead, and then we're congregationally accountable, which means every member of the body, right, is endowed with the Holy Spirit and their role is to hold the, the elders accountable to their leading, to what the elders are doing. You guys have a big role there. Listen, the big thing here with all this character stuff, is this guy the kind of man where the more you see him, the more you see Christ through him. That's what we got to know. All right, now let me tell you what an elder does. All of that is who an elder is. Here's the one thing what he does. Verse 9, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Listen, here's his job. An elder is to teach the gospel faithfully. That's his big job, to to grip this faithful message and to encourage people with it, to govern the church in a way that ensures the whole church is remaining faithful to the calling of God. It's a giant responsibility. Listen, the gospel is this life-giving message. Right? It, it breathes life into your soul. 
and the elders are the ones that come to the brothers and sisters of the church every single weekend. This is why we preach the gospel every single weekend, because to say, I don't know what sin you brought in here this morning from this week. I don't know what suffering you went through through this week, but I know as you sit in here, God loves you. I know that. I know he loves you, and my job, the job of our elders is every time we get around you is to remind you not only God loves you, but he wants you. He wants you right where you are and whatever it is that you've been dealing with, and maybe that sin is sin that you have never confessed before, and it's weighing on you. He loves you so much that he will forgive you from it, and you can lay it down at his feet, and he'll forgive you. That suffering that you've been carrying that's so heavy on your shoulders right now, you can give it to him. He is bigger, his love is greater, and it can carry you, and he can take that burden from you. And it's the job of the elders to faithfully proclaim this gospel message and to refute those who would contradict it, right? And the, it gives you a job as well. In fact, Hebrews 13, 17. Let me show you how um, the second half, I told you I'd come back around to that. The second half of Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's your job there. Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. The second half says, so that they, these leaders, can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, a lot of churches chew up pastors, and after a few years, these guys are burnt out and bitter in their jobs. And God is saying, now, by God's grace, that does not seem to, we're, we're not that old. That does not seem to be the case of Mercy Church at all, and I love the way you guys seek to love and honor your leaders. But listen, they, if, they are, if they do their duty, if elders do their duty out of drudgery, that's not good for you right? That's not good for your benefit. They should be able to lead and should be cared for and loved by their church in such a way that it's a joy and honor to be able to do so. And listen, it's to, to hold this message, the gospel message that we are to proclaim every time we're with you, right? In some way to live among you in this way. Uh, that's why I say to our staff, look, the number one thing, most important thing you do, I know you got ministry meetings where you're talking about big objectives and what's coming next, but the most important thing we can remind you of is that God loves you and that he wants you. He wants to know you. He wants to walk with you, to remind you of the gospel message and to hold faithful to it, which is that he created you. He created you to know him and to know his love. You, you get your heads around that. You were created as an eternal being. It's why we're talking about faith believing for the long haul because the long haul that God wants for you is eternity with him and a fullness of joy here and now, John 10, 10 would say. He created you that way, but you and I, every single one of us have rejected that love, have rejected his authority in our lives, and in doing so, we have set ourselves apart from him. That's what the Bible calls sin. And I will refute any teaching that claims to be the gospel that doesn't make you aware of that sin. It's a part of the gospel message. It is deeply offensive, and I get that. But I'm not called to preach a message that is easy for you. That's not what the elders are called to give. They're called to be faithful and hold faithful to it, whether you like it or not. Why? Because I gotta stand accountable before God, not before you one day. And this message that you are a sinner is a deeply terrifying message because it says you're separated from God for now and forever, but, Ephesians 2.4, right? But because of his great love with which he loved you, while you were still in your sin, while you were still there, he sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin, which is death. So his son gets up there on the cross and he dies so that you can be free from it. 
You can be forgiven from it. And then, like we're saying, he got up out of the grave, which means he, he claimed victory over that death. And now you have eternal life with God when you believe that. That's the beauty, y'all, that's the beauty of the gospel message. There is a deep, deep love for you available in Christ. And the job of the elders is just with our lives, with our words, as much as we can. We're imperfect people. We'll never do this as well as we wish we could. But to give our lives to demonstrate and proclaim this great love that God has for you. And as a church, be a church that loves one another and demonstrates and proclaims and gospels each other. We've talked about this, that what if we had a, a regular just kind of demeanor and posture with one another that we're always gospeling one another and the elders are just going first. And all oh, how, how much our city needs, needs people that will love it well in demonstration of Christ's love and proclaim that hope to it so that they might find life. That's what we're doing as a church and the elders just go first.